Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hello, this is Benno and I'm your host talking about growth topics. I love growth because it's an ever-changing multidimensional challenge. Each why leads to a bunch more why questions and we answer them until we grow enough, whatever enough means to you, right? Today we're going to talk about something that changes every time a company changes and grows and goes through growth inflection points. So quality and how you manage that changes with each milestone or inflection point as the company grows. And and it doesn't matter whether that's quality in a manufacturing environment or in the customer service team or sales process or accounting process, but the quality process is different for a $5 million company versus the $10 million company it is today or the $50 million company from two years ago that's now a $100 million company needs a different quality process. So quality is an important subject because we all hate buying stuff that's bad quality or having to do something over again because it wasn't done right. So I'm I'm excited to have my friend and colleague, Niels Larson, with us. He's a product guy, quality manufacturing expert. Niels, did I get the name right? You did, uh, Ben. You should know that after... Uh knowing me for soon 30 years, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, my name is Niels Larsson, and I also love growth, except in the midsection of my body. Otherwise, growth is great. <laughs> and uh, I have uh, been uh, working with a lot of different companies over the years. My longest tenure was by uh, IKEA, where I met uh, Ben as well. I worked for them almost 20 years, and that has been my school of how I work with the suppliers and manufacturers out there. And uh, it was a great school for for many of us who worked in that company early on. I have then uh, moved on and worked for American companies mainly, for example, uh, Home Depot and Office Depot and uh, a few other companies here in the U.S. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, walking about seven to 800 manufacturing plants around the globe and got a good insight on how people are working with quality and uh, how they manage their uh, material flow and also how they manage their order flow through their facilities and offices and so forth. You just said you had walked 700 or 800 different factories around the world. Tell everybody, why did you start working for IKEA in the first place? Oh, I started to work for them because I really wanted to start to travel and see the world. And God, have I been able to see the world? Yes, I have. And <laughs> IKEA was and is still, a, to some extent, still a very hands-on buying organization where where the buyers are supposed to, to spend a lot of time out in the manufacturing plants to find some uh, ideas and uh, get some inspiration how they can uh, help uh, their suppliers to produce more efficiently and reduce uh, waste. And that has been their success. And uh, I think that's what is so unique with that company compared with any most other uh, retailers around the globe. 
the fact that IKEA people, the co-workers, as they call themselves at IKEA, the fact that they're very hands-on. It's not sort of an ivory tower where people, you know, write white papers and PowerPoints, but everybody to the very top of the organization, and it's a flat organization, but everybody rolls up their sleeves and gets stuff done, right? That's true. And they are, and I think they still are required to spend a week, you know, working in a store if you sit in the management. I will mention that at the time when I worked for Home Depot, they also had what they call the Sacred Thursday yeah. where you as a buyer had to be out in the stores as well. So there are other companies who do similar stuff, but uh, it's not that common. But uh, I really encourage people who is buyers and uh, who might be other positions in organization who uh, have a lot of uh, customer interactions to actually spend time with the customers and not just read reviews online and talk to your customer service department. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you bring really a hands-on perspective. And I think that's really important because, you know, this is the third growth option podcast. So we're talking about growth and growth inflection points. And it's so important that we help company owners and executives think through how the approach to quality has to change as the company grows, right? Were there some game changers or big events that stick out as you look back on your 20 plus years that you worked with IKEA, for example? Yeah, I, I think the important to remember is IKEA uh, do what a lot of people say. They walk the talk and talk the walk. And that's important to, to have that in mind uh, as a manager. They also try to be more uh, sophisticated uh, just before I left the company. They tried to force all their suppliers to have ISO 9000 at that time. Now it's ISO 14000 is the new thing, which is uh, a lot of documentation and making sure stuff is made the same way the whole time. But uh, IKEA quickly figure out that ISO 9000 is only a way to make sure things are made the same way the whole time, but it didn't mean that it was for sure quality. You could actually make non-quality the same way, exactly the same way the whole time. So they actually abolished that. It was a, it's a pretty costly process to go through as well. And IKEA don't like uh, to spend money. So then the next one, I worked with a Chinese company. They, uh, they used to be, and I think they still are the largest manufacturer of blinds in the world. They used to produce about, at the time I worked for them, about two to three million blinds a month. And I was in a team where we reconfigured a manufacturing plant back in China. When we were done with that, and we, we approached it with a lean manufacturing mind. So when we were ready with a reconfiguration and how, how stuff was made there, the space we needed was just one third of what it was when we started out. And we also reduced the labor with about 50, 40 to 50% the labor cost involved to produce those blinds. That was a big eye opener for me when it comes to lean manufacturing, which is the, some people call them the Toyota way, which is kind of the ones who started out a lot of this. But that was a big eye-opener for me, what, what you can actually do with lean manufacturing, where, where when you involve people who is actually doing the work and not uh, an engineer who is coming in and think they know 
they know everything, but actually talking to the people who who is working in the in the process itself. That's a amazing example. A manufacturing company basically doing less and making more, right? Exactly. Yeah. In less time. Not to forget what normally took. You have to have an order three weeks before. We actually could manufacture with orders coming in three days before now. Fewer people, less space, reduced lead time, and producing more in the same amount of time. That sounds like a pretty powerful argument for lean manufacturing and and a quality process to me, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Good. So managing quality during growth inflection points, there's an example, that's today's topic, and a great example of a company that has gone through different growth inflection points as as a company that I started working with about three years ago, and when they were, I don't know, five or six million dollars of revenue, and they'd finished a 16, 15, 16 million dollar revenue year in 2019. So they had basically tripled in size, and the quality processes used to be very informal between a couple of people's ears, so to speak. And Niels, we had asked you to come in to that company after they had tripled in size to, you know, kind of formalize the process and protect customers and protect ownership's profitability. So let's start with the term quality. How do you define quality? In my opinion, quality is anything that will touch a customer or an organization. So there's two ways to look on quality. And there's the quality control, which is the the action, so to say. You, you have something that goes wrong and you fix it. And there is quality assurance, which is kind of preventive quality uh, work, which we should work with. Quality control is more like uh, the fire brigade coming out and putting out fire. And quality assurance is to put up uh, the sprinkler system and uh, all the stuff that you need to have not to have a fire. And I normally approach it this way, and I, I know that some people, and I know they were a little bit surprised when I started to work with the company we are talking about now. I said, if the top management does not buy into it, I will not do the work for them. Because without the top management supporting and really understand what quality and quality assurance all about, you would have lost already. You would just pay me money for, for nothing. And I think that's important to remember is that always have the top management with you. Otherwise, you will fail. How do you typically start a project? What are your sort of initial steps? So when when I go into a manufacturer or to a, whoever it is, as I said, quality is a lot of things. It's not just the, the product itself. It's also how does sales approach their customers? What do they show them and what do they hand over to them to them yeah, and it's also customer service order processing all the way to how do you pack things and how do you ship it out and how do you receive any complaints or returns you have so i normally uh, start out with a lot of talking to people who is in the organization what do you see and what is your feeling about where can we improve where can we where can i help you to do better and one of the first things I asked the management for is, uh, can you give me numbers? Can you give me some statistics? Some companies have good numbers that you can slice and dice. Some companies don't have a lot of numbers. And then you have to rely more on what people tell you in the organization. Because my mantra has always been, in God we trust, 
everybody else must bring us data. And it's really, really important to remember that. that. And also when I talk to management, I always say, you always think that, oh, we only have 3% or 4% returns or whatever it is. And I'm asking, how much are you selling for? And then I put a dollar amount to it. So if you sell for $10 million, yeah, now we have 300,000 that is basically free money lying on the on the ground that you can pick up and use for something more productive. So that's that's kind of how I go about it. This walk walk through the process of an order coming in until it ships out and how that is reported and how how the company goes about handing a customer through the whole chain of events. So you start a project with asking a lot of questions, looking at data, but also asking people Sometimes the data might not be there or might be incomplete or maybe even misleading to some extent. So you ask a lot of questions and you watch what goes on on the floor, whether that's, like I said, customer service team or production team or sales or accounting team. You ask a lot of questions and then you fix the process sort of from the beginning of the order cycle to the end of the order cycle. Is that fair? It depends on. There can be quick fixes like a final inspection, for example, of a product that is not there at the moment when I when I get in there. I say, let's start with final inspection so we, we know that what goes out is right according to the order. So you can go about it a, a little bit different ways. But in essence, that's correct, yes. I try to figure out where did it go wrong. That's kind of what I'm trying to find out. And then you take tribal knowledge and you try to formalize that. How do you do that? Yes, correct. To assure that you have quality, you really have to have a really boring thing in place. You have to have processes in place. Like it or not, the process is needed, especially when you're dealing with people that has to be involved in in something to make it happen. And with a turnover of people in the organization, it's even more important to have processes in place that you should easily be able to replace anybody in the organization by handing over a document and say, here is how we do things. So I, I start to, to look at the flow of goods. I look what processes in place. And then we start to talk about what processes do we need to have in place and also have a way to measure improvements. So then you also have to have reporting in place as well. So so it's kind of a, you have to work with several things at the same time. The processes for me is something that I can build afterwards, but I try to put in um, actions that is measurable already from basically from the first week, if I can. Uh, there are some obvious, uh, normally some obvious uh, mistakes or lacking communication within the company. And that's where I would attack it, first and foremost, because processes takes time to write. And you have to have an agreement within the organization about that. This is the right process. And it always comes down to you have to have the process formalized, documented, buy-in from the people that are going to execute it, and then create an environment in which visibility is created through reporting, right? Hence your mantra, in God we trust, all others must bring data. 
that's what you're saying is we have to shine a flashlight on the numbers, on the metrics, so that we can see improvement or see when things go off track. That's correct. And you also have to have an environment where where people dare and report it when they find mistakes, that it's not finger-pointing, it is a cooperation between different departments to do better for the for the end user, for the consumer. So you, you have to develop the culture within a company where everybody is a customer. And I think it's important to remember that the culture of the company is very important, that finger-pointing don't start out because that will not be a good environment to work in and get correct reporting, for, first of all. You have to have an environment in which you can attack issues but never attack people. That's right. That's a very good way to put it. Let's dig a little more deeply into this idea of quality during inflection points of growth. So you mentioned one earlier, IKEA, you know, maybe when they were, I don't know, half the size they are now or, you know, a lot smaller than they are now. They were working with ISO 9000 and now they're working a different process, lean manufacturing. They're a bigger company today than they were 10 and 20 years ago, probably by double or triple. Are there other examples of quality projects that you have been involved in where you helped a company adjust their quality process just a little bit because they only grew a little bit or you had to do a big project because the company had done something, had grown through a huge inflection point? Yeah, I worked with a company up in uh, Georgia a couple of months or a year ago about, and they they were a fairly good-sized company who who did have problems. Uh, actually, I got my my assignment for one of their customers. They said, you really have to be in on health because they don't really know what they're doing. And now we are talking about a company who have done the same thing for close to 50 years. And uh, so I went in there and I did what I just said here before. I, I, I walked the manufacturing plant and I, so I asked the guys and uh, I just saw the other day that was uh, one of the supervisors. She retired now after 43 years in the company. So they had a lot of old timers there and a lot of uh, what I call tribal knowledge. And uh, so I asked them, so why do you do it? Why, why are you doing it this way as you're doing it? And they said, well, we always done like that. And I said, <laughs> yeah, but that was not what I was asking. I would say, I'm asking, why are you doing like that? Oh, I don't know. We always done like that. So it was an interesting project because you, you went in and helped the company who who really relied on tribal knowledge. And there was not a lot of uh, written processes and uh, procedures within the company, but they had done it for 50 years. So, uh, but now uh, when the older generation start to, or the, the ones who has been there for 30, 40 years start to retire, now they have to get in new people. And uh, that, that was really a challenge for them. So I actually started out with a simple thing like, doing a final inspection, which they didn't have. They hadn't grown the business per se. It was just that they started to get turnover of people. Right. You mentioned earlier sort of the ROI on quality management. You talked about 
3% return rate on a $10 million company is uh, $300,000 of found money, lost money or found money. You can also express it as maybe 3% gross margin improvement on a $30 million company would be almost a million dollars added to the bottom line or customer retention. And there's different ways that you can quantify quality, but it is definitely an important part of building the profitability, right? Correct. It's hard to measure the true cost of quality. You can see it. The true cost of quality you can see in reworks, which were, which happens during the process when they make when you make something and you have to send it back because it was wrong, and also the returns coming in from a customer. But what you cannot measure is, for example, the the big impact of reviews today online. I mean, you can devastate a company in less than two weeks by getting bad reviews online. And uh, so it's, it's I, I would say it's even more important today with what we call an open, more open society than it has ever been for us consumers to find information about the product you're buying. So I think it's even more important than it has ever been to do the right thing from, from beginning. And how you measure that, I don't know. I mean, you can measure lost sale because you had bad reviews. You can but you can also lose customers that perhaps have been there for a long time and they they just find another source to buy from. How do you select your clients? You've been doing consulting projects for the last 10 years. How do you find and select your clients? I have found most of my, I would say, the majority of them through my network of people I know. So they have, I have been recommended by companies. As I said, I, I even had a uh, retailer calling me and asking me if they can go in and help them by one supplier. So it's a strange way sometimes how you find uh, your clients. And uh, put like this, I have been lucky enough that I haven't really had to look for job. They have been coming to me. But uh, with the COVID-19, things have changed for many of us. Uh, but they still... I think it's even more important today for for manufacturers and wholesalers to do the right thing for the consumers because there are most likely less money out there uh, than it has been in the past. So I think it's even more important to to uh, scrutinize every part of your uh, manufacturing and uh, and processes in place to get out cost uh, to to reduce your cost or improve your profits. How can folks find you? I can be found on LinkedIn. So it's Nils, N-I-L-S, Larson, L-A-R-S-S-O-N. There's not that many Nils Larson on, online in LinkedIn, as far as I know. Uh, you can also call me at my cell phone anytime, 909-463-8383, And... Uh, just text me or call me. It's my cell phone sitting in Florida. So remember that East Coast time. Great. Hey, this was very informative. I appreciate you sharing with the audience how you think about managing quality during growth inflection points. If anybody wants to contact me directly as well, you can do that. Uh, Benno at realignforresults.com. And at this point, I'd just like to thank everybody for listening to the third growth option podcast. And thank you, Ben, for having me on board here for today. 
Hey, good luck to all of us. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.